looking with us, then grab a Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. And Jenny is going to read that for us now. Our reading today is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does to the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us. Father, we thank you that you give us your spirit to help us understand and live out your word. And so we ask now that your spirit would be at work in each one of us this morning, uh, that it help us to see Christ clearly and to live more like him as a result. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, lockdown ha has put pressure on all sorts of areas of life, hasn't it? And I think it's fair to say that one of those areas that lots of people have felt uh, has been our marriages whether it's the result of working from home or spending more or less time together, lack of space, difference in opinion, lockdown has brought new pressures on our marriages. Last Sunday evening, it was great to hear Sophie and Aidy and Alan and Gail talk a bit about those pressures, as well as some of the joys in lockdown marriage. If you haven't watched that already, then I thoroughly recommend going back and watching that. And this morning, we've got the chance to have a, a bit more of a think about marriage, as that's Paul's focus in this next section of his letter to the Ephesians. You'll know by now that we're in the middle of this a bit of practical instruction from Paul, as he shows us what it means to live lives worthy of our calling. And in chapter five, he wants to show us what it looks like to, to live as spirit-filled husbands and spirit-filled wives. But before we get to the, the nitty-gritty, the, the do's and don'ts of marriage, uh, Paul also wants us to see all that he's about to say in the bigger picture. Just as he keeps doing in his letter, he wants us to see how the day-to-day -day realities of marriage need to be viewed in the light of the gospel. Uh, we can see that most clearly in the end of our passage in verses 31 and 32, where Paul says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. 
Everything that Paul is going to say about marriage, about being a godly husband or a godly wife, comes in the context of the gospel. And we're going to watch a short video now that helps us to see that. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Symbols, shadows, parables. Sometimes this is about that. Flowers are about love. Signatures are about promises. Fireworks are about celebrations. Poppies are about war. And marriage is about the Christian gospel. This mystery is profound, says Paul, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the wedding begins with the groom waiting at the front. He has pursued his bride and won her, and now he just has to wait. And when she eventually comes in, the whole room stands and stares at her beauty, her immaculate dress, pure and white and spotless. She gets presented to him, and they declare that they have no other partners. They hold hands. They make promises to have and to hold, for better, for worse, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. They exchange rings, signs of the covenant promises they have just made. They sign their names and make their vows legal. Then, as the ceremony concludes, they walk back out again, united as one. Everything he has is hers, and everything she has is his. Everybody celebrates with a meal. Later, they will express their physical union and share all of their possessions. She even takes on his name. Two have become one. And all this is about that. Jesus has made his people ready. His death for our sins has made us beautiful, pure, white and spotless. We are given to him and to nobody else. We make promises to each other. Never will I leave you or abandon you, says Jesus, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And we reply to him, I will forsake all other gods as long as we both shall live. There is an exchange of gifts. God gives us his spirit. There is a legal declaration. God says we are righteous in his sight. And we walk on, united as one. Everything he has, his love, his power, his goodness, becomes ours. And everything we have, our sin, our shame, our past, becomes his. Everybody celebrates with a meal, bread and wine. We express our physical union through baptism in water. We give him access to all our possessions. We even take on his name and his identity. We become Christians. Two have become one. This is about that. Paul says this is about that. A Christian marriage is about the gospel. The relationship between husbands and wives is about the relationship between Christ and the church. That's the big picture. That's the context for all that Paul is going to say 
in this section. And so that's what we need to bear in mind as we work through this morning. Uh, This is about that. And Paul begins by speaking to wives. And his big message to wives is this. Uh, Wives should submit to their husbands just as the church submits to Christ. It begins in verse 21 with that general principle that spirit-filled Christians should submit to one another. But then in verse 22, it becomes clear that he's not talking about everybody submitting to everybody else, but that we should submit to those who have some sort of position of authority over us. And so he says in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now I know that that culturally and very often personally, we struggle with this idea of authority and submission. It's something that our society is pretty opposed to. And so it's very easy for us to immediately think that submission is and can only be a bad thing. But Paul doesn't want us to take our understanding from our culture or even from our own experience. Now, he wants us to see these things in the light of the gospel. He wants our understanding to be shaped by all that he's said so far in his letter. And so think about it when it comes to submission. The gospel says that submission is nothing to do with a person's value or worth. Chapter 2 showed us, didn't it, that that we are all equal in God's sight. Whether Jew or Gentile, man or woman, we are in equal need of God's saving grace. And then having been saved, having been redeemed, well, we have equal status as one of God's children and heirs along with Christ. And so submission, it, it can't be to do with a person's worth or value, or it can't be to do with being more or less important than someone else. And it's important that we never give that impression in the way we live. It's also not about being forced to do something that you don't want to do. The church is made up of people who willingly submit to Christ, people who love and trust him wholeheartedly. And so he doesn't coerce us or force us to submit to him, but we do it gladly. We submit to Christ willingly and we submit to him completely. Again, being a Christian isn't a case of bargaining with Jesus. We don't say, well, I'll submit to you if you do this for me or I'll submit when it suits my agenda or fits with my priorities. That's not how we relate to Jesus. No, we we willingly trust our whole lives to him. We submit completely knowing that he wants what is best for us. And so when we think about how we as Christians, how we as the church submit to Jesus, we see it's it's both willing and it's complete. And so Paul says in verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. It's worth saying just at this point that there are occasions when submitting to your husband is not the right thing to do. Uh, For example, if he's leading you into sin or if there is abuse in a relationship in any way, then you should not submit. Instead, you should uh, speak to someone you trust as quickly as you can. Uh, But assuming that isn't the case, Paul says this is the pattern, this is the model uh, that wives should follow. 
they should submit to their husbands just as they see the church submitting to Christ. What does that look like in practice? Well, I think it means looking to encourage and not undermine your husband's leadership. Think about when it comes to making decisions in your marriage. Godly submission is not a case of just being quiet and waiting for instructions. No, there should be open and honest and equal contribution to those decisions. But it does mean that once a decision is made, it means trying hard not to do the I told you so look, even when his decision has turned out to be an absolutely terrible one. Or think about when you get together uh, with other women. Godly submission means avoiding that temptation to to talk down about your husband, to moan about him and complain about how useless he is at this or that, however light-hearted you think that might be. And godly submission means learning to, to trust rather than fight against him. Your marriage is not a battle of the sexes, but as Paul says in verse 31, it's a union. You are one body, one flesh, and that should shape the way that you live life together. It goes without saying, though, doesn't it, that, that submitting like this is not an easy thing to do. It's not always easy. It will involve swimming against our culture. And it will involve fighting against pride. It won't always be easy. But it is the pattern that wives are called to follow. And when we see that pattern in the light of the gospel, when we think about how the church submits to Christ out of love and trust... Well, we see that far from it being a, an oppressive thing, the, the reality is it's, it's freeing, it, it's a joyful submission, a wonderful thing to experience. And so wives, I, the question for you this morning is this, am I actively trying to help my husband lead in our marriage or am I subtly undermining him? Is my attitude one of loving submission Or would I rather he just got out of my way? Paul says wives are to submit to their husbands, just as the church submits to Christ. But then secondly, and for much longer, Paul turns his attention to husbands. And he says, husbands, you are to sacrifice just as Christ does for the church. One of the reasons that submission is so often misunderstood is because authority is so often misused. Our culture tends to view power and position as something to be used for personal gain. We can see that in the world of work, which we're going to think about next week. And we can see it in marriages. But again, Paul wants the gospel, not our culture or our experience, to shape how we think about being a husband. And so he says in verse 25, a husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Paul's big message to husbands is this. You are to love your wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. And so once again, it's Christ, not our culture, that is the standard, the the benchmark 
for what it means to live as a godly husband. Which means the question for us husbands is this, what is the love of Christ like? If that's what we're to follow, if that's what we're to imitate, what is that love like? And the answer the Bible gives is that it's a a love that is prepared to give anything, to do anything for the sake of the one he loves. We've seen that in Ephesians, haven't we? What did it cost Christ to redeem his church? What was the price he paid to, to purchase his bride? Chapter 1 verse 7 says the price was his own life. It's through his death on the cross that Jesus has bought us, he's redeemed us, made us holy. It's through the blood of Christ that his people are cleansed, are washed, are made clean and pure. You see, Jesus gave himself for his bride. There was no expense too great for him, no cost he was unwilling to pay. And so what is the love of Christ like? Well, it's a a self-giving, sacrificial love. It's a love that has a cost. It's also a love that has a goal. Uh, You can see that in verse 27. Christ did this to present herself to him as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The purpose of Christ's love is to present the church in all her splendour, all her beauty as a spotless bride. Just think of the video that we saw just a moment ago. Think of when the, the moment when the bride enters the church, heads turn, people gasp, and the groom can't help but smile as he sees his bride in all her beauty. That is what Jesus wants for his church. That is what he wants for you and for me. He died so that he could present us as his perfect, glorious bride. That's his goal. And it's his goal that leads to his ongoing love and care for his bride. Look at verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church, for we are members of his body. Back in chapter 2 and chapter 4, we saw that when Christ saves us, we are united to him. We become part of his body. And here Paul says, as his body, Christ feeds and cares for us. He, he nourishes us. His desire is for us to grow, to develop and mature, as we saw back in chapter 4. And so Jesus gives himself for our growth and for our good. And so this is what it's like, isn't it, for For us to have Jesus as our head. This is what it means to to live under his authority. It means being loved and being led by the one who has given his life for us. The one whose overwhelming desire is for our good. The one who daily loves and cares for us so that we can grow and mature and become the radiant bride that he saved us to be. That is what it means to to live under Christ. And so Paul says to husbands, that's the image, that's the picture that you need to have in mind when you think about what it means to live and love and lead your wife in this week. Because as you look to Christ, 
your love will become more like his love, Paul says. It'll be a a sacrificial, self-giving kind of love, a love that has a cost. Back in the the 1990s, there was a, a terrible massacre in the town of Port Arthur, Tasmania, in Australia. A man went went mad with a gun and shot 37 people dead. And about two weeks later in the Sydney Morning Herald, they published a front page article with pictures of all the people that had died and a short description of how they had died underneath. Just listen to some of those descriptions. Jason Winter, 29, winemaker from New Zealand, shot dead in cafe after throwing himself in front of his wife to shield her. Dennis Levy on holiday with his wife, who survived, shot in cafe after pushing his wife under the table. Ron Jarvis on holiday with his wife, shot dead as he shielded his wife in the cafe. Raymond Sharp, 67, on holiday with members of his golf club, shot in cafe whilst trying to protect his wife. Loving like Christ means being willing to do anything, to give anything, even your own life, for the sake of the one you love. I know that most of us are unlikely to have to do anything like those men in Australia. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to make daily sacrifices for the good of our wives. And so loving like this, well, it, it might mean giving up some of our time some of our hobbies or projects. It might mean giving up some career progression or comfort. The cost is going to look different for each one of us. But the point we're not meant to miss here is that there will be a cost. And so husbands, a good question to ask ourselves this week is this one. When was the last time I deliberately gave something up for the sake of my wife? It's a challenging question, isn't it? And it's an important question because this is what it means to love sacrificially. This is what it means to love like Christ because it's a love that has a cost. And then in doing that, Paul says we should also have the same goal as Christ. Remember that Christ does everything for the good and growth of his body, the church. He is united to us and so he cares for us. And in verse 28, Paul says, well, the same is true for for you husbands. We are united to our wives. And verse 31 says we've become one flesh. And so we need to do all that we can to love and care for our bodies, just just as Christ loves and cares for the church. What does that involve? Well, at its most basic level, it involves taking responsibility for the spiritual health and growth of our wives. That doesn't mean we need to deliver a three-point sermon over cornflakes every morning, but it does mean taking seriously the responsibility to pray for our wives. It means thinking carefully about how we can give them the best chance to read the Bible every day for themselves. Whether that's taking the kids out of the way or doing the washing up or whatever it might be, giving them time to spend time in God's word each day. It means ensuring that that you as a couple belong to and serve at a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Again, the details might look different in each individual life, but 
the question for us to ask is this. Am I giving my time, my energy and my thought to how I best care for, love and cherish my wife? Is her growth and godliness a priority for me or do I just let her get on with it? Paul says to husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. That is what it means to be a spirit-filled husband. And it's that kind of husband that should be a joy for our wives to submit to. A joy for them to love and to trust in the way that we've seen. And so you see, this is the, the pattern that Paul says we should follow. This is the pattern for Christian marriages. He says, look at the relationship between Jesus and his church. See how it's a a relationship of joyful submission and sacrificial love. Look how wonderful that relationship is. And let that shape your marriage. Do you know, apart from the gospel, this just makes no sense whatsoever. Apart from the gospel, sacrifice and submission is a crazy way to live. But when we see it in the light of the gospel, it makes complete sense. It makes sense and it paints a beautiful picture. Because it's as we submit and as we sacrifice, that Paul says we proclaim the gospel. It's as we live out Ephesians 5 that the watching world gets a glimpse of Christ's glorious love for his people. The love that Paul has already said surpasses knowledge can be seen in our marriages. It can be viewed, it can be glimpsed in the way that we treat each other as husbands and wives. And so he says in verse 31, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Once again, Paul wants us to see how God's big plan, his marvellous plan, both elevates and motivates the day-to-day reality of living as children of God. Which means whether we're married or not this morning, we need to pray that our marriages and the marriages of those that we know in our church family would display Christ's love to the watching world.